All right, so this class is six weeks long. Uh, Jack is starting class uh, in rep on uh, the book of Revelation this morning in the fellowship hall. Um, initially, he's going to not necessarily work his way through that book just from first chapter to last chapter, but the uh, what many people consider to be the really interesting stuff will be later on in that, and I'm looking forward to when we finish this class going in there. So um, if you're if you're thinking about bouncing back and forth or whatever, know that that last part about a new heaven, new earth, and all that stuff will be after this class is finished. So um, that's anyway that's what's going on in the other room, and uh, and here we're going to be looking at the conversion stories in the book of Acts. Good morning, Mark. Hey, grab one of those. Are you standing here? Or are you going the other room? Well, I, it was it was a tough you choice. Just, you just you know? grabbing your grabbing your tripods, or <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know if you were just coming to get your tripods or what. So, no. yeah, yeah. I said I I, uh, I I didn't know if anyone would come in here today with the Revelation class going on because that tends to pique you know people's interest a whole lot. So. Um, but uh, we're going to look at the conversion stories in the book of Acts, and we are... Good morning, Cameron. Good morning. He's telling you to grab that not something's on you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, one of the things that I want to do with this class is, as we look at these and we look at these stories of, of conversion... When we go back and we're, as we're evaluating them, and especially in the last week, as we're kind of going back and reviewing what we've looked at, is to think about how was, how, what were the differences in the different stories? And what are the commonalities between the different stories? We think about a plan of salvation like we have so traditionally taught with you hear, believe, repent, confess, and you're baptized, and that's the the gospel message, when the gospel message really is about death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and so we're going to look at these conversion stories. We're going to think about what was different and what was the same and what does it mean to be converted. And that's a word that we use. We don't use the word conversion outside of technology in the church a whole lot. That's about the only two places we use it. You know, automobiles use all sorts of converters, torque converters and catalytic converters. And, and so we're going to talk about what it means to convert. Um, we're going to look today toward the end of the class. We'll, we'll take a, a uh, quick look at the day of Pentecost when how many people became Christians? Over 3,000. Yeah. Yeah, over 3,000. Uh, and then next week we're going to focus on Acts chapter 8 where we have... The, the story of Philip preaching the gospel. So Philip was in Samaria. He preached the gospel in Samaria. He made Christians there. And then he encounters the uh, Ethiopian treasurer. The, uh, we often refer to him as the, the Ethiopian eunuch. And so we'll look at that story next week, follow it up with uh, the story of Cornelius, uh, which was a, a big change with Peter's vision that God revealed to him and the sharing of the gospel with someone who was not from uh, the lineage of Abraham through Jacob. And uh, then the week four, we're going to look at the uh, conversion stories in Acts chapter 16 through 19. Most of those are shorter stories. 
uh, Lydia, the the jailer, the uh, the folks in Corinth, the folks in Ephesus, as you started seeing other people respond to the gospel and churches be planted. And then we're going to look in week five. We're going to what? What are we missing? I was going to see if the light was on above you. Oh, I, no, I think. Oh, there is a switch for that one. Thank you. I thought it was just out. It's strain on his eye. Yeah, that helps a lot. Thank you. Um, uh, week five, we're going to look at the story of Saul, who converted, became Paul. And then the last week, we're going to do a little bit more of that, reviewing those stories and talking about how they're different and, and all that good stuff. So uh, this morning, as we begin, any specific prayer requests that we need to address? Anybody have something going on they'd like us to pray about? Danny Pickett continued the uh, recovery for him. It's just slow going, and uh, he uh, was in some consideration of removing some digits. So, so yeah. not sure where that's going to toes gonna and go. Thumb and a yeah. pinky and a, some toes maybe. So, yeah. Yeah. my sister-in-law Rosie Henderson has got some upcoming hip replacement surgery. She's real concerned about it. Who? My sister-in-law, Rosie Henderson in Texas. All right. Um, Stephanie Brewer has surgery coming up this Wednesday on her neck. So let's uh, remember her. And we had a prayer request come in this morning. Um, Crystal responded last Sunday. Uh, her husband <coughs> sent Ryan a text this morning. They're going through a very difficult time. Um, yeah, it's his, it's her father, I believe, uh, has stage four cancer. And they've only given him like a, a week or two to live. And so they're dealing with that. Uh, they're dealing with, with Andrew. Crystal's husband, uh, looking for a job, and so some just some challenges in their life right now, and he's asked that the church would pray for them. So Andrew and Crystal, and then uh, her her father would be uh, Kevin. If I remember correctly, the parents were here last week. No, grandparents. Well, that was grandparents. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mom's day. <coughs> All right. All right. Let's... Uh, Let's go, Lord, and pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your blessings. We thank you for, Father, how you have revealed your will for us through the word, and you preserved your word for us over many centuries now so that uh, we can pick up a printed book just about anywhere, even, even just out of our pockets now on our phones, Lord, and we can read your word and, and get, have access to your wisdom and your teachings, and we know how to live a life that's pleasing to you. Uh, Father, we pray that you would guide us in our studies of your word, just as we study it here in this class this morning, that you would guide us through this study. We pray that you'll be with all the classes here in our facilities today, with our, our kids and, and our other adult classes, that all that we do, Lord, would help us to grow in the way that we serve you and serve your kingdom. Father, we, uh, we pray for this congregation. We pray for our elders and their families as they guide us. And Father, for those that we've uh, that we just mentioned with Danny Pickett, 
um, with Stephanie, uh, with Andrew and Crystal and Crystal's father, Kevin, and with Mary's sister-in-law, Rosie, Lord, we raise them all up to you as they deal with, with health and other challenges in their life. And Father, pray that you would give them comfort and peace as they face these challenges, knowing that uh, in you all things work together for good uh, for those of us who uh, love you and are called according to your purpose. And Father, we pray that that you would bring them uh, in your time uh, solutions to their challenges, and you'd give them the patience to uh, to wait on your solutions, Lord, as they uh, as they work their way through these. Father, we, uh, we just ask you to help us every day to choose your ways to be more godly and for the people around us uh, to be able to see that we are your servants and that we share the love of your Son to the world. It's in your Son. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <coughs> so there are, <coughs> excuse me, there are quite a few stories in the book of Acts that are what we would call conversion stories. Can someone give me a definition of the word conversion? Because like I said, it's a, it's a word, it's like repentance. It's a word we use at church a lot, but we don't use it in everyday conversation about other things in life. I would, I would say it, it's one maybe a more simplified perhaps. It's, it's a change from a, a sinful way of living to uh, living for God. Okay, so in a religious context, in a religious context, it's it's a change from not living for God to living for God. Okay, all right. And I think Ron actually said something that I I think is very important in that he started off by saying, choosing from living a sinful way of life to living a a life that's pleasing to God. Right. So start, it starts off by sinful living, and it involves change, okay? So what about in practical sense? What does the word convert mean? Just practical, everyday sense. Change. Convert. Change, okay. Convert fractions. Converts. Uh, convert fractions? Seriously. Okay. Convert metric system into inches. Oh, okay. Okay, so from an understanding standpoint, uh, I actually have, now that you say that, I have a simple little app on the desktop of my computer, and you know what the name of the app is? Conversion chart. Con it just convert. And I open it up, and it has about 20 different tabs on it for length, for area, for volume, for speed, for all these different things, and you click on one of those tabs, and it brings up two lists. And everything's included in both lists. You'll have all the standard and metric terms on one side and all the standard metric terms on the other side. And you choose the one that you have. For example, if you were going to convert uh, length, you could choose inches. And then on the other side, you could choose centimeters. And you can put in whatever number of inches you have, and it automatically clicks and tells you. And then you could change the centimeters to kilometers or, you know, whatever. And it just keeps telling you what the... It's just called convert, and so it changes and gives you the, you know, the the other output that you that you're seeking. So really, in simple terms, Mary said change. So in simple terms, it's change. Now, when we use the word repentance, what does repentance mean? Turn. Turn. Okay. 
change of heart. A change of heart. Thank you. Okay. And when you say turn, like about face. Okay, so turn around. Yes. Okay, so we talk about it in the sense of the same thing, really, that Ron said a minute ago when he described conversion. That we turn around from a sinful way of living to living for God, right? So repentance is about repentance is about changing. I think we often think about repentance more synonymously with confession and admitting that we're wrong, and that's not what repentance... Repentance is not the admitting. Repentance is the actual changing, right? And conversion is about... We think about that more of uh, a one-time decision that I've converted from being this to that. But really, they both go together. They are both about change and changing to be godlike, Christ-like, godly people. That's what they're really both about. And so in the book of Acts, we see these stories. We call them conversion stories. And really what we're seeing is we're seeing the moment in time when the decision takes place and a person gets into Christ, when a person becomes a Christian. And we're not, we're not seeing the whole revelation of the change that's taking place in their life, which is really what the conversion is. The conversion is about the overall change of the life, right? But what we're seeing is this one little picture in time of when they made that decision, and that's what we're going to be looking at. And so we see others uh, rejoicing in salvation. We see stories about that in the scriptures. We see Paul giving us instructions about uh, how we should react uh, in, in people's uh, commitment to Christ and things like that. Uh, there are also times in the scriptures, in the book of Acts, and we're going to take a brief look at some of these, when the gospel was preached and people did not convert. People did not change. Hello. So there's also, so there's stories of conversion, but there's also stories of no conversion when the gospel was preached in the book of Acts. And I think it's important for us to understand that the plain New Testament teaching on conversion, uh, on the plan of salvation, uh, has several different elements. I'll put a few notes on the board this morning. If So did everybody bring a Bible of some form, even if it's on your phone? I'm okay with you using your phone. Just don't be, you know, playing Candy Crush or something during class. I confiscate them like a bunch of middle school kids. <coughs> So these, these elements, if you will, form kind of a, a chain that binds men back to God. Um, so this list is about heaven's part in the conversion process, okay? That's what this list is about. So first of all, we have God. Somebody read for me, if you would, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Second Timothy 1, 8 and 9. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, who because of our works, because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. The power of what? 
or who? God. The power of God. And God does what? Does it say right after that? He saves us. Yeah, he saves us. Um, according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but his own purpose and grace, which is given us in Christ. So he is the original planner, he's the original designer, and it's, it, it was, it, it's him who does the saving, okay? It's not us who does the saving, so that's very important. He's the source of all blessings, he drew the blueprints, he planned our salvation. Now someone read Ephesians chapter 2 verse 5 for me. And y'all can go ahead and look down the list if you want. And someone can like someone can go ahead and pick out Romans 1.16. We'll have to wait till we get there if you want to someone go ahead and mark it. Verse 5. Uh, Ephesians 2, verse 5, yes. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved. Okay. Is that right? That's it, yes, sir. Was God obligated to save us? No. Mm-mm. Had no obligation to do it. He created us. As a matter of fact, there was a point where the world became so evil that the thought of man was evil continuously, selfish continuously, and God, to save mankind, actually, because there was one man on the earth, on the planet, that was left who was righteous when Noah was here, to save Noah and keep Noah from falling into the sin that was completely encompassing everything, God wiped off all the rest of the sin that was on the planet, right? And so God, but God was under no obligation to save us. Did we deserve it? Do we deserve it? Okay, so we use this term, unmerited favor, right? Yeah, you like that term? You smile real big. I like that term, Mark. He's smiling at me, Tracy. Oh, he was smiling at you. Oh, man. <laughs> Todd run it, didn't he? <laughs> unmerited favor. What is unmerited favor? We don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. Yeah, we don't deserve it. God created us. He put us on this planet. He started with Adam, and then he gave Adam Eve, and he put them in the garden. And as far as we know, from everything God revealed to us, they had one thou shalt not, and, and they messed it up. Don't you wish you could have been the one that had been there so you would have done it right? <laughs> not so much. No, some tells me that serpent's pretty tricky. Yeah. I don't know if some people would have held out longer than Adam or not, but of course we don't really know how long that was either. But yeah, whoever, what, whatever man had been put there would have eventually made that mistake and messed it up. It's unmerited favor. That means that what we receive is grace, that God just gives it to us because he wants to give it to us. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Mm. God's grace is exemplified and fulfilled in its most precious way through the giving of his son Jesus. Now, we read, we read other passages about Jesus did not consider his um, being God something to be grasped or something to be held onto. In other words... Jesus was willing, he didn't hang on to his throne in heaven and say, no, I'm not leaving. I am not going to leave heaven and go down there and live on that place where those people are so bad. He didn't hang on to it. He willingly left there and came down here to be born as a baby who had to be nursed and have his diaper changed 
and his rear end wiped and couldn't do anything for himself. And he was God over the universe. And he came to be that helpless initially and grow as a man and yet never sinned. And so God's grace is exemplified and given through Christ in a great, great way. Uh, Matthew chapter 26, verse 28. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Okay, Christ's blood shed on the cross, our atonement for our sin. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness. Without the shedding of perfect, sinless blood, there can be no uh, perfect forgiveness. And so Christ did that for us. So as we look at, do I need to... Write some of these up here, Tammy up higher. Uh, I keep dodging that. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if... Just move the whole thing. Well, I'll see if I tilt it down, but I'm not sure how it goes down. Thank you. Thank you. Sorry about that. <clears throat> so Christ shed his blood. There can, be, there can be no forgiveness without his blood. And uh, it is through him that we receive forgiveness. And we find that in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 as well. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. Somebody read that one for me. 1 Corinthians 6, 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Okay. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of, of God, the Spirit of our God. We could go through and we could look at multiple other passages. Uh, some people have often said the, the anthem or motto of the Church of Christ could be found in a passage in the book of Acts. Anyone know what verse I'm referring to? Acts chapter 2, verse 38. <laughs> well, you should have said it, David. I wasn't sure if that was that. All right, and Acts 2, 38 tells us something about the Holy Spirit. What does it tell us about the Holy Spirit? Give us the gift of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, so what happens, when does a person receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? According to Acts 2, 38, Peter's words. Repent and be baptized. Okay. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So if we think about the Holy Spirit here, he was sent into the world after Christ's departure, and his role was to reveal um, the plan of salvation to man. We see that happening in a big way on the day of Pentecost that we're getting to here in just a few minutes. We don't have a whole lot of time this morning, so I'm trying to rush through a couple of these points. But um, he inspired... Those apostles who were gathered together that day to uh, speak as he gave them utterance. We read that in Acts chapter 2, verse 4. And by the Spirit, the word was delivered to man. And I would say it's by the Spirit that as we as Christians who have received that Spirit of God are able to read God's word and, and have a better understanding of what is there and a better ability to apply it to our lives. The Spirit guides us as we study his word. That is the prayer, at least. So when you are studying, uh, if you pray before you study the Bible, which I hope that prayer is a part of your study as it is, then becomes a, a uh, 
discussion between you and God as you learn that you will pray for God's Spirit to guide you through your studies and give you an understanding. The Holy Spirit is a big part of revealing the plan of salvation so that these people could be converted. And the Holy Spirit is a big part of what happens in their lives after they are converted. Okay? So then we get down to Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Somebody read that one for me. Romans 1, 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is what? The gospel is the power of God. Okay, so when I think through the Bible as a whole, when I think about the power of God, what are some of the things that come to mind if you just... In simple terms, go the power of God. What do you think about? Creating the world. Creating. Genesis 1 1, right? Anything else? Land of salvation. Huh? Land of salvation. Oh, see, you're just jumping right to the lesson, Ron. <laughs> I mean, when I think about power, I think about power being displayed. I think about the parting of the waters of the Red Sea. I think about the walls of Jericho falling down. I think about this Ark of the Covenant that the world seems to have searched for, and we've, we've made these movies about, you know, with Indiana Jones and all that, and, you know, and it has some power that the Israelites were carrying it before them in war, and the, the, the enemies that were in front of them were scattering and being killed, and what was the power that was in this ark that the world has been searching for, you know, since that day? And, and so I think about all these things when I think about power. And yet, now that we're in the, the new covenant, Paul, as he's writing to the Christians in Rome, says, the gospel is the power of God. And so while God did all these other things and... To, to deliver ultimately Christ to us, the power that's in effect and in, at work in the world today now is the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and if we simplify the gospel into a, a few statements of a story, what do we say the gospel is? Good news. The good news. What's the good news? The death, burial, and resurrection. The death, the burial, and the resurrection. The good news is that Jesus Christ left heaven and he came to this earth and he lived a sinless life. He died on a cross paying the penalty for our sins. He shed his blood, which was sinless blood. He was buried in a tomb, and God raised him again from the grave. And that that resurrection doesn't end with Jesus. Resurrection continues in his promise to us as well. Okay, isn't that the good news? Is that a powerful message? Yeah. And so it is the power of God to change the world today. And as Christians, our responsibility as kingdom workers... And I want to use a, if you've ever read any books from a, a Church of Christ minister by the name of John Mark Hicks, he frequently talks about kingdom work, and he will use the term about bringing order to chaos. The work of the kingdom, the work of, of, of growing the kingdom in the world, is bringing order to the chaos of people's lives. That when we bring the gospel and we help people see what is eternally important, we've brought some order the chaotic thoughts and selfish thoughts and the, the things that are going on in their lives. It may not fix every problem, but it gives them some focus on how to live and helps them focus on the things that are, are eternal. And so this, this is heaven's part in conversion as we look at, at God and his grace and Christ and his blood and the Holy Spirit and the power of the gospel. 
Okay? Because the gospel itself is powerful. And we do not do, and I, I'm saying this in general, not for any one of you specifically, we as a church, worldwide and at Eastside, do not do a good job of putting the power out there, of sharing the gospel. Okay? Uh, that is something that we, we should do better at. We rely on this idea that people, and it's a true idea, that people are going to see Christ in us because of the way that we live and love, and, and then that's going to be enough. But if all they do is to see that we're loving, but we never tell them why we're loving, then we've not shared the power of God to change the world. Okay? Um, all those, again, are part of heaven extended down to man, but there's also the human part of it, right? Um, we find that some part of the conversion process deals with man. Um, we've, it, it, it's, well, its purpose is for man, to save man. It's pretty much that simple, and it is man who has to make a choice. Each individual has to choose. Uh, 1 Corinthians one twenty one says, For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. So people who believe and then therefore are obedient to this message of the gospel have their part. The sinner's part. Um, That's why we need saved. Ron earlier started off by saying our definition that we use of conversion is to go from a sinful way of living to change to a godly way of living. So that's where it starts. It starts with people who are lost. All right. So as we look through the book of Acts, I'm going to go ahead and not talk so much about these non-conversion stories, but there are some stories in the book of Acts where the gospel was delivered and people did not choose to become Christian. Can y'all think of any of those off the top of your head? Felix. Ah, Felix. Okay. Felix. What did Felix say to Paul? A more convenient time. A more convenient time. Let me go think about this. At a, at a better time, when it's more convenient, I'll get back to you on that. And what, did, do, what does our records tell us about that more convenient time? Yeah, we don't we don't read that there was anything that ever happened there with Felix. Okay, some short period after that, we read of another story that's very similar. Okay, do you remember which one that one was? Paul was preaching the gospel. He was talking to Festus and King Agrippa, and as he he's just delivering the story of his conversion, and King Agrippa says. Do you think you're going to make me become a Christian in just this short period of time telling me this little story? Now, depending on what version of the Bible you're reading, it may sound like that King Agrippa is saying, I need some more time. But when you, you get back into the original Greek there, and for example, the English Standard Version of the Bible phrases it in such that King Agrippa was actually saying, do you think that in such a short period of time you're going to convert me? That was basically what King Agrippa was saying. And they all went their way, and as far as we know, King Agrippa and Festus, neither one ever became Christians. And so the gospel was shared in some instances in the Bible by someone we consider to be a great, great man who could deliver the word, mm -hmm. right? We think about it, would, would that describe Paul, do you think? 
Is that the way you think? That's the way I think of Paul. Yeah, I mean, he was an apostle of Jesus Christ in that he met Jesus and saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. We have this wonderful conversion story we're going to look at in week five of this class with Paul where he was on the road and he was blinded and all the story of, of, of his choosing to to leave persecuting the church and Christians to become a follower of Christ. And, and so then he goes and he studies for almost 14 years. If you, if you weren't aware of that, after he became a Christian, he went away for, for almost 14 years to study and prepare himself for the work that was laid before him before he actually started all of this mission work. Okay? And, and so we, we think about him and we think about his writing of much of the New Testament and the letters that he wrote, the wisdom that he shared, and yet he still preached the gospel and shared the gospel with people who chose not to accept it. And so uh, I think that's something that's important for us to understand is everyone doesn't accept it. And our job is to share the word. I put world. That's supposed to be word. I apologize. The word, not the world. Uh, Our job is to share the word and uh, quite the opposite, just by adding an L, huh? (laughs) So, to share the word, and, and then people's job is to choose whether or not they're going to accept that or not. So, Acts chapter 2. What has recently happened as we get into Acts chapter 2? What, what point in Christian and church history are we at? The church has been started. Okay, the church is not started yet, right? As we get into Acts chapter 2, right? I thought that's when it begins. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yes. Yeah, it hasn't really started, and that's where we're getting to, right? The coming of the Holy Spirit. The coming of the Holy Spirit, which was, Jesus actually told his followers, I am sending, or God is sending a comforter and guide to you, right? And so, we in Acts chapter 2, we get the, the foundation or the, the beginning of the church, the coming of the Holy Spirit. What had happened just recently before this? Several big things, one major thing. Christ had ascended to heaven. What was that? Christ had ascended to heaven. Okay, so which means he had died and, and risen, and then he had gone around and taught and preached for a little while longer, and then he had ascended into heaven, right? Okay, so, oh, that would be the good news, the gospel, right? That's part of it, isn't it? Okay, so... So this is where we are as we get right here into the beginning of the book of Acts. And and just for historical purposes, um, the book of Acts was written by which apostle? Paul. Not an apostle. Not an apostle? You mean there's parts of the New Testament that are not written by apostles? Oh, not an apostle. Lucas. Luke. Luke the physician. Okay. Some people call this Luke. Uh, the Gospel of Luke Part 2, you know, or something along those lines. Luke Volume 2. So Luke shared a very complete story with us of Jesus from his birth through his death and resurrection. He gives us this life. And then he carries this right on into the story of the beginning of the church and the early efforts by these men to share the Gospel and these conversion stories that we're getting. So as we get into this, um, they're gathered together in Jerusalem 
It's 50 days after Passover. There's still a lot of people. They've come from everywhere. Jerusalem is full. It's teeming with people. To give an example, uh, and I'm just going to throw some numbers out there. Statistically, these are not going to be right because I'm just throwing numbers off the top of my head. But Midwest City is a, is a uh, community of about 60,000 people. Is that? I think that's about right, right? A little more. 57 or 60,000, something like that. So... So I think Midwest City is somewhere in the neighborhood. Imagine, what's that? Oh, imagine that there were 5 million people in Midwest City for the next five weeks. Okay? Now, there's only 4 million people in the whole state of Oklahoma. Imagine that we had visitors come from all over the world and there were 5 million people in Midwest City for the next several weeks. Okay? And then you, you start getting an idea of back when Jesus, when Mary and Joseph had to go to Bethlehem for the census and they couldn't find a place to stay, you get an idea of that image. I mean, they were staying in people. People were renting out their, their extra bedrooms and their yards and their barns and stables and all of this stuff. And so when, when this period was happening... Jerusalem was full. It was packed with people. And so you've got people, you've got Jews specifically from all over the world who have come here for their annual pilgrimage to worship, and they're all packed in. Jesus has been crucified. So we've had this happen. The world's been turned upside down. There was all this clamor with that. Rome was all involved in it because, you know, it was creating riots in town and disturbing things, and Rome didn't like things to be unruly and all this chaos to happen. They wanted everybody to be settled down. So you had all this, and it seemed like things might have been settling down because this guy who was turning the world upside down had been crucified. Then his body's missing, and then the people who are following him, all of a sudden many of them are seeing him again and talking with him, but that's kind of kept quiet in in the political realm, but word's getting around about it, and now here they are. They all are gathered in Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit, comes in in a way unlike anything I would venture to say you and I have experienced. There's actually a visual thing that's happening here, and it looks like, and I don't know what this would be. I don't know if it was an aura. It looks like flames of fire above their heads, and there's a sound of a mighty rushing wind that comes in. And then all these people that are gathered from all these nations all around the world who speak all these different languages are understanding the gospel being preached in their own language by men who didn't hadn't already studied and learned those languages. So when we start thinking about the power of God on display, this would be one of those miraculous power of God, even though I, I, it's, we have to begin to think of the power of God in terms of the gospel and its effect on people's lives, but we have this powerful thing that's happening here on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, 50 days after the Passover. Okay. Seven weeks later. Seven weeks later. And so they begin to preach the gospel message. And as we read through Acts chapter 2 and we read of the message that was being preached and all these people are hearing in their own language, we read that they get to the point of saying, and this man whom you crucified is the Son of God. What happened to the people who heard that message? What does it tell us about them? How do they feel about that? 
Pricked in their hearts. What does that mean? What does it mean to be pricked in your heart? I think that's a mild term for what probably happened. Your conscience is hitting you. They were hurt. They were hurt. Their conscience was was getting to them. Yeah. I, I think they were. I think. I think the idea there is they were overcome with guilt. But how would you feel if your guilt meant you just realized that you had killed the Son of God, the Creator? What other emotion might you be feeling? Fear. Fear. I would have overwhelming fear if I just realized I had killed the Son of God and been a part of that. Now, I don't know. We don't know. We can only speculate, and that can get us into all sorts of trouble when we start speculating about things in the Bible. But when Peter preaches this message and said, the man whom you killed, and then it says they were pricked in their hearts, that many of the people who were hearing this message were in some way connected back to the events of Jesus' crucifixion. Okay? Whether they were part of the crowd that was screaming, crucify him, crucify him! Or, or they were just caught up in the throngs and there to watch because they thought it was cool to watch a man be hung on a cross, or whatever role they might have played. In some way or form or fashion, they felt guilt and fear as they were pricked in their hearts when they heard this message preached by, by the apostles. And the response was absolutely amazing. When we read that the gospel is the power of God and the salvation, what was the response that day to that gospel message? 3,000 baptisms. Hmm. Verse 41, then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and about 3,000 souls were added to them. Now, what was the message that he, when they were pricked in their hearts, they said, what was the question they asked? What do we do? What must we do to be saved? What do we do to fix this? I mean, that, that would be the way, what do I do now? What do I do? How do I, is there any way to fix this? Am I just doomed? What do I do now? And Peter's response to them was, Acts chapter 2, verse 38, the short response that we have recorded here was repent, which we talked about at the very beginning this morning, means what? Repent means what? Change. Change. Yeah. Change who you are, change the way you live, change the way you respond to things, change your understanding of God's history with man and what he was doing with the nation of Israel. Change your expectations of who you were looking for in a Messiah. Change your expectations of a worldly kingdom and government and someone sitting on a throne to deliver you from Rome to an expectation of a heavenly kingdom and spiritual salvation and eternity in heaven. Change the way you look at things and therefore the way you live and accept Jesus as a son of God. Put him on by changing and being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, your wrongs. And specifically, when Peter and the apostles were saying, for your sins, at this point in time, there was an emotional, uh, overwhelming response to the sin of crucifying the Son of God. Okay? They had something they were very caught up and tied up in at this point. So when we see 3,000 responses to the gospel, powerful message, with miraculous events happening with the Holy Spirit that day, we see about 3,000 souls who were baptized, became Christians, 
received the Holy Spirit, and they were added to the church. How did they get 3,000 people baptized in one day? Okay, if we made an assumption that I don't think is a safe assumption, but if, that was a second bell, wasn't it? If we made an assumption that the 12 apostles, which at this point included Matthias, right, were the ones doing the baptizing, you know how many each one of them would have had to baptize? You just divide 3,000 by 12, 250. Okay, but there were a lot of other disciples who had been active in the ministry of Christ. So uh, I don't know that it's safe to assume that the apostles were the only ones doing the baptism, or, or even if they were involved in the baptisms, but 3,000 souls were baptized and became Christians that day. So next week, uh, we don't get a whole lot about what happened in these people's lives, about what change entailed for them, but we do know that they were pricked in their hearts and they responded to the gospel. And so uh, next week, you've got your uh, your syllabus. Please look at Acts chapter 8. Read that. Read about the conversion uh, of the Samaritans by Philip as he preached the gospel and then the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. And uh, we'll look at those stories in more detail than we looked at the day of Pentecost this morning.